Welcome to the Pirate's Eye Podcast, produced by the Seton Hall Alumni Engagement and Philanthropy Department. I'm your host, Bianca Velez, fellow pirate of the class of 2010, and each month I'll be sitting down with an alumnus to chat about their career, their life journey, and the role that Seton Hall played in getting them where they are today, or continues to play. Pirates, we changed things up a bit in this episode. We are actually going to share with you a recording of our recent virtual networking program entitled Women in Business. Now, this panel discussion is one example of the many ways Seton Hall has been able to stay connected in this digital realm with pirates near and far, and we didn't want any of our listeners to miss out on the amazing wisdom bestowed upon us by our panel of alumni and our moderator, Dean Joyce Strouser of the Stillman School of Business. So take a listen to Claudia Coe, who graduated with an MBA in 2020 from Seton Hall and is the Associate Marketing Manager at Geringa. Jenna Angiliadis, MBA 2019, Chief of Staff at American Express, and Gabriella Redhead, Class of 2016, Associate at the Alternative Investments Group. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us for our virtual alumni networking event. Tonight is going to be a focus on women in business, and this is brought to you by the Department of Alumni Engagement and Philanthropy, as well as the Stillman School of Business. And we are thrilled to have you with us tonight. I think we've got a wonderful program in store for you. My name is Joyce Strasser, and I have the privilege of serving as Dean of the Stillman School of Business. It's my honor tonight to moderate this panel of talented and dedicated young Stillman alumni. And we're looking forward to hearing all about their paths and providing some advice and guidance as we go. Also with, at the end of our program, a little opportunity for networking. So let me kick off by asking our panelists to introduce themselves. So we'll start with Jenna. Would you please just give us a little bit and I'll in turn, each of our panelists will give a little bit about their landscape and the career and the path that brought them to where they are. Great, thank you so much, Joyce. I'm so happy to be here. I'll just give a quick introduction to myself. My name is Jenna. I went to undergrad at Drew University and then also received my MBA in finance and management from Seton Hall from the Stillman School of Business. So a little bit about my career. As soon as I graduated undergrad, I began my first job at J.P. Morgan Chase in the city in the office of the general counsel and spent two years in that role before moving over to where I am now at American Express. So for the past two and a half years, I was the chief of staff in our global commercial services marketing team. And then very recently, I just accepted a new role in our global client group as a global client senior manager, managing our travel airline partnerships. All right, thank you, Jenna. Okay, we're gonna go and I should have said we're in alpha order. So Claudia, Claudia Coe, would you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your path? Yes, thank you so much. So again, super happy to be here with you all today. Um, for me, when I started at Seton Hall, I came with a lot of experience from Montclair State University. That's where I had my undergrad. And then also I had a master's in educational leadership. So when I first started in the MBA program, I was a management major and that 
quickly changed when I switched to marketing. And from that point on, I really saw a lot of opportunities to look for my strengths. I worked um, in the dean's office, in the student information office, and that was a great opportunity for me to really see where I fit in in the business world, met a lot of amazing women um, through that opportunity. And through the Career Center, I interned at a medical device company named Gattinga, and I converted to full-time a year and a half ago, and that's currently my role now. Um, and I'm really eager to share a little bit about um, what that journey looked like in terms of balance today. And with that, I am going to pass it along to Gabby, who will introduce herself. Yes, thank you, Claudia. So my name is Gabby, class of 2016. I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited to, to speak with all of you. Um, so after CN Hall, I started my career in JP Morgan. I started as in the asset management analyst program. So I was three years as a private bank analyst covering financial sponsor clients. So essentially working with partners and, and founders of private equity funds and help them helping them with their manage their personal wealth across all aspects of their balance sheet, both in assets and the liability side, which is like a really great role. Got to work with some really cool clients. Um, and then after three years in that specific role, I wanted to transition to a more technical role. So kind of went from like a client facing role to a a the solution space within the private bank, switched over to the alternative investments group. And in that specific space, um, I worked with third-party hedge funds and private equity funds across various aspects, the due diligence, structuring, and ultimately the capital raising part of that. So I did that for about five years. And recently I just started my MBA at MIT Sloan. So yeah, super excited to start you a month ago. So it's been it's been a journey, but you know, it's amazing so far. Wonderful. Thank you. So we are starting off with some questions that we prepared ahead of time. off with a topic that I think is a perennial challenge for everyone in the workplace, but particularly for women. And I think it's something we've been more reflective about since the pandemic and thinking more about, you know, what we want to do with our lives. But I'd like to ask you to address issues of work-life balance. So how is it that you manage? What guidance can you give to those who are listening tonight on managing work work-life balance. So work with your own personal development, with your wellness, and how does continuing education fit into that? So I will kick off with Jenna, but then I'll ask everybody to join in as you like. Thanks, Joyce. So this is such an interesting topic. We talk about it um, all the time at work at American Express. 
but I'll give a little bit of a personal hint about how I manage it. Um, and it's something that I felt like I've had to learn and develop over the past year being involved in the pandemic and working from home. Um, I know a lot of us put in a lot of hours working from home um, and also in the office. So I think the biggest takeaway that I've learned is you have to really be flexible and not feel guilty. And those are the two main things. So for example, like if I want to work out in the morning and I start work a little bit later, but then I work a little bit longer at night, then that's okay. You know, I feel like we had this schedule in our heads of going to work, commuting, and then working nine to five or later. And we were all on that very strict commuter schedule. But I think we all learned to integrate wellness and, you know, activities that help our day-to-day -day personally into that work balance so that it's not just a set time for work, but we integrate it in a way that works better for us. So maybe I'll take a break throughout the day and then go back to work. And my manager isn't on top of me saying, you know, are you logged in on at this time? And are you logging off at this time? I feel like we've adapted to a more flexible schedule. And that's really worked for me. And I know others as well. So if we want to take a break for dinner and actually spend time cooking and doing things for ourselves and maybe check emails later at night, then that's okay as well. I think the biggest takeaway is just doing what works for you and not feeling like you have to necessarily report into someone um, or clock your hours like we used to have to feel. Um, and everyone is definitely more accepting of this more integrated, flexible lifestyle. And I think it's really important when leadership and the top down show that type of you know, adaptability and acceptance of this new lifestyle and working arrangement, because then people who are more junior will feel more comfortable you know, doing so. Excellent. Thank you, Jenna. Other panelists want to chime in on any aspect of that? Yeah, sure. So um, one thing that Jenna shared that I want to um, kind of piggyback off of and give a name to is eating your veggies first. So um, when you're managing a full plate, it's very easy to just tackle the things that are front and center. Um, my, myself, I'm a very out of sight, out of mind person. So if I wake up, I log into my computer, I will like tackle the first thing that I see as important. So if for you, you have a fitness goal or you have something that is really important to you right now, tackle that first, eat your veggies first, and maybe wake up a little bit earlier and tackle that before you log in, um, just so that that's a priority that you commit yourself to. And then there's two other concepts that really got me through working from home and still meeting my goals, whether they were personal goals or um, goals at work. And that is um, approaching every day like a marathon. And so um, right now, I think of uh, a clear uh, starting line and then a clear finish line, and that can move. So, you know, if you start your day at a certain time, just know that there's going to be a finish line at some point. So just, you know, don't just let everything keep going into later and later hours, really figure out when you're going to stop and log off. Um, and then the last thing is having an oasis. So having a break that is actually a meaningful break. Um, so for me, I love having coffee in the morning and, and then afternoon, I'll try to take a walk. That doesn't always happen, but just having something to look forward to that is a meaningful break. That is actually disconnecting your brain from whatever you're doing um, is really, really helpful. So again, just to recap, um, eating your veggies first, tackling what's really important to you first, um, and then approaching each day like a marathon with a clear starting line, a clear finish line. And then lastly, 
um, really figuring out what's your oasis, what's something that you will really benefit from if you disconnect and that's your oasis and stick with it. You know, it's funny, Claudia, as I look at your background there, I'm thinking yeah. about one of the oasis that periods that we have here is mm -hmm. we'll walk around the circle, around the green. Oh, so wow. one thing we'll do in the afternoon when we are when we can, usually it's Lee, Leonimus and I, maybe with mm -hmm. another colleague, but we'll go out for a couple of laughs, even if we do talk just a little bit of work, but mostly it's clearing our heads, seeing and it's always a beautiful season, seeing the season and, and as you say, taking a meaningful break, getting up from the desk for a while. So great, thank you for that. So Gabby, yeah. anything yeah. else you wanna? Yeah, just to kind of like add to what Claudia was saying, I think it's so important to find like a structure that works for you. So I think to share my personal experience in the beginning, I was really struggling to find like that disconnect between like work and, and home. Like I would roll out of bed and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm at work now. And I'm just like tackling my to-do list. And I feel like I would just never like know when to stop. And like, it, was, it just was a little bit like, I need to figure out a structure because this is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. um, so what I figured what works for me is, I, I think for me personally, like the commuting time was my time for myself. I listened to my podcast. I would like, you know, review my emails and like, I missed that commute aspect. So what I what worked for me that I, I found really helpful was I would wake up go to the gym that would be my time and now it's kind of like me going you know my commute to work and then after and after like now when I'm at work I would be really intentional about what I wanted to get done for the day and know okay this is a this is not a priority this can wait until the next day and just like setting clear kind of like deadlines on like okay this is enough for the day let me close my laptop and then go back to the gym I also had a gym in my building so I had luckily the, the benefit of just going back to my gym and that was my commute like leaving my apartment to go home and just kind of like create that boundary for myself so when I would come back my laptop would be down and it would just be like time to focus on myself and my, my well-being and just do things that I enjoy and that I, I found that structure to be super helpful in just finding that that time to just relax and disconnect from work great thank you all all very good observations uh, you know, I'm going to shift a little bit because in your conversations, you reference the fact that you're working from home often. And I want to ask you now, as we've got a number of our students, maybe some prospective students, and certainly alum who are dealing with this decision, if you have the flexibility to work from home, what would be your advice to colleagues? Would you say you should be in the office? You should be in the office a certain amount of time? What's your thoughts about that? The advantages versus disadvantages of working in the office, working from home? Um, I'm happy to kick it off. Please. Yeah, I think uh, personally for me, I think like a hybrid model of both is super valuable. And I think for the good thing about working from home is you have the flexibility to kind of like structure your, your work as it's best fit to you. You don't have to deal with a lot of like the, the FaceTime or like the political stuff at work. You just, they're more productive. You know what you have to do. You get it done more efficiently, more effectively. You kind of avoid coffee chats and walking in the office, which, which is also a nice thing to have, but you're just like super effective at your job. So if you want to just maybe switch, like have like Monday and Tuesday be your days that you're just focused on working from home and then on the days that maybe there's a team meeting and there's going to be, you know, like maybe like senior level people that you want exposure to, or you want an opportunity to present something in person, then you will make the effort to go into the office for, for those parts. I think for me, when I first 
was had the option to go back into the office. I went there one day and like I was the only like associate there with maybe one other one. And I was doing all my meetings via Zoom. I'm like, there's no value adding me being in the office if I'm going to be interacting with everyone else via Zoom. So I realized if I am going to be in the office, it's for that, that people component. So whenever you do decide to go in, it should be so you can con- you know, connect with is there someone you want exposure to, or you want the ability to connect with someone, you want that FaceTime, then you should kind of like, I think for me, it works best. Like I like to work from home whenever I know I need to get something done quick and have time to do other things. But whenever I want the ability to present a project in person or being that important team meeting, I'll make the effort to go in, in person for those specific um, situations. Okay. All right. Agree, disagree, Claudia, Jenna? <laughs> yeah, I've been nodding my head. Um, I really agree with that because um, I think part of communicating your value is communicating um, like when you are going to make that trip in and be intentional about your own time. So um, I can think back to when I was um, interning and then also doing a few classes at Seagan Hall at night. One of the things that I communicated to my team and to my manager um, was hey, I have this really exciting, uh, you know, market research class that I'm doing, and I get to go to our business partner and and actually visit them on site. This is happening on Tuesday. Do you mind if I work from, you know, from home or from out of the office on that Tuesday so I can make it to my site visit and be, you know, impactful at that visit? And I think Telling, telling your manager, telling your team what's going on with you at school um, is actually incredibly valuable because you can share wins with them and they know they can, they can listen in on what your journey is like because for them, they've been working full-time for many years, right? So their calendar and how they approach each day is different from you. You don't have that um, you know, semester going on in their brain, but that's important. That's what's going on for you. So I really found that that was actually a great way to talk about what was going on in school and talk about my value and kind of keep things on their radar so that I was top of mind when this when this came up or that came up. So I think if you re- really want to be that person that they invite to an in-person meeting, for example, if there's limited seats, um, you have to communicate your value of being there. And sometimes that means limiting your presence, which is counterintuitive. You think like, oh no, I should be there all the time. And believe me, I've, I've been there. I've Just like Abby said at the beginning, I would always be there all the time because, okay, I need to be here even though I'm only dialing in. Um, but just figure out what works for you and, and have that conversation and, and communicate what your timeline is like, especially if you're operating in um, what, what we have for our MBA was uh, these uh, like seven week courses. And those were, those were crunch time. Those were um, a lot of things happening in a very short amount of time. So I think it's a great a great way to be open with your team and to see the value of being in person. I like that suggestion about how you made that part of talking about what you were doing and mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. your wins. Yeah, that's great. Jenna, anything else? Any other ideas or contrary thoughts? Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm going to focus it a little bit on the networking aspect. So you asked Joyce, like, what would be our advice? If what we think, should you be in the office? Should you not? And I think my answer really is, it depends who you are as a person and really what you want as an experience. And let me focus it on the networking part. So a lot of people have asked, you know, you think that I can get as much out of my career as I want 
being from home because when you're in the office, you're meeting people organically, you're stopping for coffee, you're meeting people naturally at your desk. And for some people that is easier for, you know, maybe people who are more introverted, don't feel as comfortable being the first person to reach out um, to network. So those types of natural relationships that happen in the office are easier for some people. Um, but I will say that if you feel the opposite and you want that hybrid lifestyle that Gabby was talking about, then that is a perfectly okay situation. And that works for so many people, including myself, where you can get the most out of your career and still have a lifestyle that you want to live by having the balance and flexibility. So for example, I know we spoke about this in our session, sometimes networking virtually is actually easier a little bit, you know, because you don't have to stress about meeting someone in person for coffee and, you know, figuring out what they look like and going to meet them downstairs in the lobby. You could just throw a WebEx or a Zoom on their calendar and meet them face to face and have a conversation and know it's going to be 15 or 30 minutes and it takes the pressure off of a lot of people. Um, so that has been something that people have told me that they've considered when they're coming back into the office, like how many days do I want to be there? And I don't know if it's going to affect my career. And I think really the reality is we won't know how it's going to, how we're going to feel until we're all really back, um, you know, living that hybrid lifestyle or whether you choose to be completely virtual or completely in person. I think it's going to be something that we have to adapt to, but ultimately I think it depends on who you are and your, you know your strong suit and how you can pursue your career. So you have to take a lot of different factors into it. And I think a lot of companies are doing the right thing by giving employees options that fit people's different lifestyles, personalities, and ultimate goals in their career and their, um, and their personal lives. You know, I think it's all very good points. I think one thing for me that was difficult was I used to be so comfortable just sort of walking down the hall on my way somewhere and a, a thought or an idea would pop in my head and I'd immediately share it with a colleague as I went down the hallway, right? And so now I have to think a little more about, okay, I can't be reluctant to ping somebody on Teams or pick up the phone if they happen to be working away from, from that point. But I, but I sometimes wonder, does this take away a little bit from our creativity? Because we're not having those spontaneous conversations as much. So the more that we can make it easy, like you said, Jenna, of just you know, quickly scheduling something, the more we can get over that barrier that it has to be a very formal meeting planned well in advance, I think the better off we'll, we'll be in terms of being able to share and, and learn from one another. Mm -hmm. So, all right, let me move on to talking about some broader challenges and opportunities in your careers. And I want to ask you, would you talk a little bit about challenges that you've had and advice that you would give our listeners in terms of advocating for yourself? So generally, you know, you talked about Claudia, for example, demonstrating your value and why you should be in the room. But I wonder if you could also touch upon negotiating, asking for raises, asking for opportunities. So if you could give advice about how that might be easier, because I know that can be a tricky thing for an, anybody in the workforce, but especially I think it's harder for women. So Claudia, I'll have you kick us off on this one. Sure, yeah, I have some notes for this one because this one's very, 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 um, it can be dicey, it can be dicey. So I, mm -hmm. one of the concepts that I just shared about um, for the previous question was being top of mind. And um, 
what does that look like? I kind of want to unpack that a little bit more because I think that's that's key to being your own self-advocate is having a brand. So um, one of the things that I think served me really well when I first joined my company was introducing myself to people that um, were on a call and I didn't know who they were. It was something as simple as just sending an email and saying, hey, um, this is who I am, blah, 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 done. And then if they replied back, I would say, oh, do you have a couple minutes to meet one-on-one? I'd love to hear about what you do for our company. Really simple. Um, and the reason why I think that's important for bigger negotiations and bigger conversations is because people will um, keep you top of mind, right? Like actually um, remember you. Being memorable is very important um, because people tend to um, like you, you tend to be more sticky, like more memorable, you're top of mind when people have a good feeling about you. So think about it. If I had um, just waited for the next time where I would see that person, I would not be taking control of that conversation or that relationship that I'm starting. But by me reaching out and introducing myself, I kind of took command of that. And like, this is what I want them to remember me for. I'm going to take control. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, and then another thing I wanted to say um, for advocating, and this is all sort of like subliminal things that you can do is wearing my CN Hall pin wherever I go. <laughs> so when I was interning, I wore this pin all the time and I did it for a reason. So um, our network, our um, pirate education network uh, is amazing. You can't underestimate it truly. Um, and just by wearing that pin, a lot of people would just come up and talk to me. And that was great because they would associate me with something that was already positive in their mind. And you can't underestimate that truly. Um, and one thing that I will say also is just reiterating why you want to talk about an opportunity and finding the right timing to do it. So for example, we have embedded in our human resources calendar, um, opportunities for feedback, opportunities to plan things for next year and strategize as a team individually. But sometimes you will feel a better time to have that conversation and just trust your gut and talk about it with whoever is that stakeholder for you. So for example, if you have a really big event, um, this could be something that you really shined at, or maybe it was something that you didn't shine at, that you kind of failed at. Um, find, find the opportunity to talk about it. And then um, again, that person who you talk to will remember, oh, wow, Claudia was really proactive about that. She didn't do a great job with this, but she talked to me about it immediately and I like that. So all of this said, I, I'm trying to sort of communicate how um, you establish a brand for yourself as a teammate, as a worker, and then also eventually as someone who's gonna be top of mind for opportunities down the road. Claudia, I wanna jump excellent. in. Yeah, yes, Jenna, jump in, jump in, jump in. Um, to talk about something, you know, to follow up with something you said about making a name of, um, for yourself. So. Yeah. Something that I've noticed, um, Joyce, to your point about people having challenges when it comes to advocating for themselves and their careers, I see it two ways. I see people who actively manage their careers, and I see people who passively manage their careers. Mm -hmm. And the definitions of those two things would be passively would be, you know, showing up to work, doing a great job, um, you know, meeting your goals, and then expecting to sit there and wait to get recognized for it, right? But actively is doing everything Claudia just said. It's reaching out, building a network for yourself, getting your name out there, building reputation on top of doing a stellar job, plus talking to your uh, manager, leader, boss about what you want, you know, letting them know this is where I want to be. I want to be this title in a year. How can you help me get there? 
Um, and I feel like, you know, a lot of times people passively manage their career and say, well, how come I'm not getting promoted? How come I'm not getting a raise? And no matter if you're a man or a woman, if you're actively managing your career, you will be in a better position than someone who is not. So I feel like, you know, we'll always ask them about themselves and have asked them about their leaders. But at the end of the day, I see people who are getting the recognition are the ones who are very much vouching and advocating for their work and building a brand for themselves because the bottom line is at the end of the day when it's year end and they're talking about you in talent conversations, you want multiple people to know who you are for multiple reasons. You don't want just your boss being your advocate in that room. You want the people who are your boss's colleagues advocating for you as well. So I think that's super important. It's a lot about perception and um, branding like Claudia said. So I think people should keep in mind if they feel like they're facing a challenge getting from point A to point B, I think they need to look inward and being, you know, be real with themselves and say, what am I doing to advocate for myself and that myself and that doesn't just mean doing a good job at work. Thank you, Jen. Gabby. All, all great things. Um, I mean, they, they definitely covered all of it. If I could just maybe add a couple things. Um, I think that Yes, clearly communicating your goals with your manager and having a strategy in mind on how you're going to get there. What kind of projects are going to help get that exposure to that promotion? Like who should you be talking to? Who should you be working with? So you can get, so you can have all the right people in the room. Like to Jenna's point, when it comes down to the promotions, who's going to be there pounding the table? Like, yeah, I worked with Gabby. She did an amazing job. She deserves this promotion. Like you need those sponsors. Like that is so fundamental. It's not, it's not enough that you just, you know, come in, put your head down, work really hard. And it's just like, expect people to know how hard you work. You really have to be super um, outspoken on your work and how hard you're working. And I, and I think also it's really good if you can be proactive on like scheduling check-ins with, with your manager and, and just like saying like, Hey, here's our strategy. Here's a plan that I'm, you know, moving forward with in order to get this promotion. Like, how am I tracking? How am I doing? And I'm, am I reaching those goals? Like, should I be doing more? Am I doing this? Well, what can I be better? And just holding your manager accountable too, because the end of the day, you know, she, you know, she, she's supporting you in your professional development. So it's just working together to make sure that you're, you know, not, it's not like a one in once a year kind of performance, but being proactive about really setting those check-ins to make sure that you're, you're tracking accordingly. So when year end comes, it's no surprise and you're in, in a good place to ultimately get that promotion or get the top rating. Um, so just like working really closely with your manager, being proactive about setting those intentional check-ins and having like a clear plan and strategy or how you're going to go about ultimately getting, you know, that promotion if that's what you're looking for or that, the high performance uh, review, those kind of things. I love the very proactive approach you're advocating because I think I was just reflecting as I was listening to each of you, how few people have actually come in to tell me these are my goals and this is what I'd like the opportunity to do. And it's interesting because when somebody does that, you immediately start thinking, even if there's not something obvious at that moment, you start thinking about how you can create or find that opportunity for the person. So terrific advice. Now, I want to work in a question or two that we have come in on the chat who asks if you might give some advice to students who may be or, or early career starters who may be suffering from imposter syndrome, that feeling that they don't really deserve to be in that position or they're not good enough to be in the role that they currently occupy. What advice might you share? Hmm. 
I always say, I always tell people to, if you say something with conviction, more times than not, people will believe it. Um, so I really feel like it depends on how you act. Confidence is always the bottom line for me. I think, you know, there's a balance between being vulnerable and being confident. And if someone is in a new role, I think you need to balance both. You need to have the confidence in yourself that you can learn the role and do well in it eventually, of course. But there's also that air of vulnerability in saying, you know, I am new. I do want to learn. And you are relying on other people, really, who have been there to teach you those things. So I think, you know, to the imposter syndrome, everyone has that at some point in time. But I think to overcome that, you have to remember that everyone feels like that at some point, And you are not the only one. Um, and, you know, I've had leaders at our company who have admitted to that in front of a lot of people that they also have had that. And they're people who are super qualified for their job and um, hold very high positions at the company. So I think, like, the key is to remember is have confidence throughout no matter what confidence in yourself, but then also exude confidence. And that will grow with you being in role or understanding the role um, more clearly, but also allowing yourself to be vulnerable in the beginning, because I think that will make you stronger in the end. If you really take that time to say, okay, maybe I don't know something, let me learn it, rather than, you know, try to act like you may or may not know something, and then later on, it catches up to you. So confidence and vulnerability, a good balance of both. Yeah, and I that's awesome, Jenna. And if I could just add to that, I think like I experiences when I was first started at JP Morgan's, I was in the financial sponsors group, as I mentioned, working with ultra high net worth individuals and a lot of them I couldn't really relate with. And I kind of, I felt that it's very real, that imposter syndrome. And I, I really learned to like, first off, know that you belong there. Like you own that space. Like it's, it's something that you first need to be like, I belong here. I deserve to be here. Feel that confidence and know that you work, you know, you're in a level playing field with everyone else. And I think another thing is like, just there's a power with you being authentic as well. Um, and I, I learned to like, just be more of myself at work, like bring my, you know, what makes me, me, like my positive attitude. I'm always smiling. I love to run. I love to dance and just being myself around my colleagues and even around my clients and knowing that everyone is very different and everyone's going to add value. And everyone has a different personality and just being yourself and being comfortable being yourself and owning who you are is um, super powerful, I think. Um, and sometimes when you're in a situation that your surrounding is very different, you can't relate. When you just bring in your authentic self, people really value that. And you just like learn from each other. They can learn from you and then they feel more confident opening up to you as well. And you also get to develop a stronger relationships that way too. I love that. So I'm going to chime in. Um, I definitely have suffered or I don't say suffered, but I've definitely experienced imposter syndrome. And I think the biggest thing is just knowing who you are and what you add to whatever group you're a part of and why you're there. So um, Dean Strasser's background is the amazing trading room. Um, and I was part of the CFA Student Research Challenge in 2020. And our team, you know, did amazing. Um, we were, um, went to the global final, amazing things. Um, Style back though, when I was first approached about joining this team, I had no idea the level that I would be involved. I didn't realize it would be only four students and I would be one of the four, 25% of that team. So 
um, sometimes you have to just accept challenges, even if you, um, you know, aren't really quite aware of what's involved because almost tricking yourself and just taking, you know, raising your hand, throwing your, your um, name into the hat and just going for it. Sometimes you'll just surprise yourself. And I never really allowed myself to feel imposter syndrome because we always had something to do and get done. And a big thing I think um, that, that might serve you well is just taking action and not waiting uh, for the moment where you feel motivated. Don't wait, because that might not happen. You might not feel inspired or motivated to, let's say, I'll use an example. Maybe you're feeling imposter syndrome about going to grad school. Maybe you're like, maybe I should just continue in my job. Or if you're still um, in school, wrapping up my you know, senior year and I'll just coast and see what happens. No, maybe maybe there's something out there that is that grad school will help you get, get, get to, right? The destination that you want to get to. So um, I think there's so many, so many barriers and guardrails that we put on ourselves. And sometimes if you really genuinely uh, have something out there that, you know, is coming from the goodness of your heart and the goodness of who you are and your talents and your strengths, sometimes you just have to not even let yourself feel imposter syndrome. Um, and then the one thing I'll, the, I'll, the, I'll share as well is that phrase, fake it until you make it. Sometimes I don't like that phrase, but sometimes it's true. You just have to fake it till you make it uh, and just, just go for it. Take action. Don't wait to be inspired. Just go for it. Great. Thank you all. Now, here's a very closely related question. So I'm going to pose it again right now. You've talked, all of you, in your response to dealing with imposter syndrome about building confidence. And here's a question from one of our MBA students, Giselle Sanchez, and she's asking, how have you built confidence and resiliency over the arc of your career? So can you think of any particular practices or maybe even uh, incidents that have helped you build that? Joyce, I can start with that. I have an example. Please, um, so personally, like I'm a very naturally outgoing person, I'm confident. I feel comfortable speaking to people in front of large groups. Um, especially because of my role as a chief of staff, I oversaw a team of 105 people. Um, that is the space that I'm naturally comfortable in. But I will say, like when I first started my career, I wasn't always the most comfortable networking and meeting new people because, you know, you're in a big corporate environment and you have people that are higher level than you and it could be intimidating. And when you're trying to build um, like Claudia said, a brand for yourself, that can be a little daunting. So what I did was to get over that fear was when I was at JP Morgan at my first, in my first role, I reached out and networked with anybody and everybody. I reached out, I was an analyst at the time before I became an associate. And I remember I reached out to like the head of M&A at JP Morgan and asked her to do a coffee chat. And it really scared me. <laughs> I was like, this is very intimidating. She said yes, actually. And I did have um, a really good chat with her. But I noticed, like, I would actually get nervous before coffee chats, just regular, like, one-on-ones with people. Um, and it didn't matter, like, who it was. I would think about what I was going to say. I would get a little nervous. And I never, like, prepped for those networking chats. Like, I wouldn't really come with a list of questions because I always felt like it was more of a conversation. And I still believe that now. But I remember... The fact was like, I need to do this for myself. I need to put myself through this because eventually it'll become so second nature and natural that it'll be like nothing. And I'll be able to speak to anyone at any level and interact with them and get to know them um, and have a conversation that much more easily. So I think 
I put myself a little bit out of my comfort zone in terms of like, I just started my career and I was reaching out to people who have had well-established careers with years of experience. And I did that on purpose because I knew that it would force me to grow out of that and it would put me in a better position in the long term. So I always remember that and I always advise people when they ask me like how to gain confidence or how to network or how to like build relationships with people. I tell them, I'm like, do something that scares you. Um, even if that means like you could be the most comfortable extroverted person and that could be something that is difficult. Um, so that really worked for me and I feel like it helped me grow. It helped me be, be successful in my chief of staff role um, and future roles and everything. So that would be my piece of advice. That's something that worked for me personally. Thank you, Jenna. You know, it, it really is interesting to hear all these different views and strategies on this. I, I like that you are deliberately doing that, making, putting yourself a challenge out there. Because I do think that you see that if you do something that's difficult, you accomplish it, you achieve it, you realize whatever comes at you, you'll be able to manage through it. Gabby, anything right. you'd like to add? Yeah, I think that one of the, when I was first starting my career, I'd be like petrified. I'm like presenting in front of all the senior leaders. And all of the times, Jen's point, like I would raise my hand. I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. At the moment, it would sound great. But then I'm like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? Like, I'm going to have everyone's eyes on me. It cannot mess up. So I am a strong believer. Like there's no such thing as over-preparing. And whenever, I think an opportunity is like that, you can, there's an opportunity for, to, for you to make a huge, great impact if you do really well. So what I would do to feel confident in situations like that is I would, you know, prepare whatever I was going to say with details, with metrics, et cetera, and then find like the three toughest critics in my team that I had a relationship with to practice with and, and just wait for them to ask me questions, grill me personally, like, okay, like, what would you ask? How can I refine this? And that really helped me feel a lot more confident because in my mind, I'm like, okay, if I could, you know, I've received the feedback, I incorporate the feedback, if I can handle their really tough questions. And then I, I, in my, in my mind, I felt like I could definitely handle the room in the specific um, meeting. So it's just being overprepared and practicing, like finding people that can be helpful in giving you advice on how to refine, you know, whatever it is you're presenting or in any situation, like practicing beforehand, I think is super important just so you can get comfortable and get a sense for finding your voice and speaking with confidence. And I mean, for me, I also think like, if I just like put my, my confident dress on in my blazer and just like look the part, like in my mind, I'm like, okay, I got this. Like look yeah. like look like a person, like you're gonna an influential leader. Um, mm -hmm. So it ever goes failed, like, so I'm always like, okay, just look the part and just be right over prepared to impress everyone and just go in there with that confidence and that mentality that you're gonna kill it. And that has helped me navigate a lot of like uncomfortable, very nerve wracking situations when I was presenting. So yeah, it's definitely a big advice I would, I would definitely um, recommend just like practicing beforehand and finding those people that can really give you that helpful feedback that can help you gain that confidence. So when it does come with that moment for you to shine, you can blow everyone away. Excellent. You know, when I think back to my early days as a faculty member, the one thing that I always think that I did not do enough was ask for advice, ask for critique of my work, share things I was doing with others. So excellent. I do want to ask you, you've talked about relationships directly and indirectly. I do want to ask you if you could give a little bit of advice and talk a little bit about finding a mentor, finding a sponsor, how that is different. Maybe throw in some do's or don'ts in terms of building those relationships. So I don't know who wants to kick us off on this one. 
I have a good don't <laughs> and a story. Okay, good, so, good. One thing that I will say is when you are using LinkedIn and you're leveraging LinkedIn, first of all, if you don't have LinkedIn, make one. Uh, it's very important. Um, when you're using LinkedIn to reach out to people, make sure that you're reaching out to them the minute that you meet them, maybe as a follow-up. Don't wait too long. And the reason I share that is because I connected with someone and I waited a couple months too. And they actually replied back to me and they were like, oh, like what took you so long? Like, you know, um, oh, we can only connect when, you know, you need something or like, they were like very direct, which I appreciated. Um, so I think that when you're like a, the do that I'm saying is reach out before you have an ask of them. Okay. Because that will make your interactions part of your relationship with them, right? Like you're trying to add value to their life and they're adding value to you as well. Like that's what networking is. It's not just asking someone, oh, like, can you do this for me, right? Because that's not very genuine. Um, and just really, really building those relationships immediately instead of, you know, waiting too long, um, if, to put it simply. And then one more thing um, also that I think is a really good um, do that relates to networking is sort of what Gabby was saying of looking the part. Um, figure out, maybe find someone who you look up to and see, you know, how they how they uh, dress and how what their brand is like online and follow those follow that example and the reason I say that is because yes it's important to be fashionable and to have your own you know signature look but I think more so than anything you want to have a good like mental shortcut of what you stand for and what you are like and when people look at you online they should kind of feel like they know you a little bit and know what you stand for so I think those are the two um, do's and don'ts that I have for um, reaching out to people and just putting your best foot forward. Terrific. Thanks, Claudia. Oops. Other thoughts? I could talk a little bit about mm -hmm. the difference between a sponsor and a mentor because Please. this question comes up a lot. And I would say like a mentor and a sponsor could be similar in the sense that a sponsor could also be a mentor. But a sponsor is very different than a mentor in a lot of ways. A sponsor is someone who is going to go to bat for you when it matters. When it's year end and you're in performance meetings, when you're going for a new job internally or externally, and they're reaching out to that new hiring leader, vouching for you and vouching for your work. Um, and someone who has mentored you in the past and advised you. You know, typically I would say examples of sponsors are your boss, right? Because your boss knows you well, you work with them directly, they see a direct work product um, that you produce, and you are able to have those natural conversations about your career development um, and what you want out of it. I think sometimes mentors are different in the sense that, you know, we meet them through, you know, organically, we meet them through programs that our company set up, we meet them through school, but they don't always have the relationship where they're seeing the work and the value that you can bring. They're more so advising you and giving you advice based on their experience and what they see about you um, and recommending things for you or certain career paths or pointing out your strengths and weaknesses. So I think a mentor could develop into a sponsor, but I think it's important to realize, you know, if you're looking for someone at the end of the day to go to bat for you, um, to really make sure that you're showing them and giving them a good example of what they can vouch for you for. So that's just like kind of what I've seen um, at my company and in the different conversations that people have been having. 
I know, Claudia, you spoke a lot about, like, you gave a good example of what a mentor is. So I think you should share that with the group. Um, I think you gave a really good overview of a good profile of someone who could be a mentor to someone. Yeah, sure. So I think it's important to really, um, like I said, look for someone who can give you like really good advice. So for example, like sometimes even my mom is a great mentor because she will tell it how it is. Um, sometimes when I speak, I feel like I sound too cutesy or like a baby voice and she will tell me. Um, but when you're looking for a mentor, just, just you know, be open-minded, right? Like don't close yourself off. Oh, that person, mm, I don't know. Like just reach out and see what happens. Um, I like to think of mentors um, sort of like coffee cups, right? And so you kind of want everyone around you to be at least, like lukewarm, right? Like they should know who you are. And um, if you reached out to them, it wouldn't be weird, right? And then maybe you'll jive with someone and then that will be a mentor that you go to, that you call when you need advice, right? Um, and just keeping everyone, like I said, like cups of coffee, almost like all around you to support you if you need them, if they need you. Um, and then just keeping in mind, if, if you take like one thing away from what I just said, keeping in mind that you're not going to have like an amazing mentor relationship with everybody around you. There's going to be certain people that you just really click with and then, um, you know, lock in on that relationship and really cultivate it and make the time to talk to them and be close and, and find ways where you can add value to them as well. Good. Thank you, Claudia. Gabby, you want to share anything? Oh, they all said really great things. Um, I'm thinking about what else I can I can add to both of those remarks. Um, I think like a, a sponsor is really important if terms when it comes to promotion, um, like was mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, and while I think with a mentor, you may call maybe like I'm freaking out, like I need help, like how do I navigate this? Like what should I do with a sponsor? You you don't want to do that. With a sponsor, <laughs> you want to just put like you want to try to put your best foot forward at all times, because when they're out there pounding the table for you, it's their reputation on the line. So you always wanna put your best foot forward with your sponsor and then your mentor. That relationship is a little bit more fluid in the sense that it's more like you can, you can show your weaknesses, your strength. You can, they can give you candid feedback, like who should you talk to, who should you not talk to, who's that person when they ask you to do something, you drop everything and you get it done because that's the person that matters. Like those, that kind of advice you'll get from person, your mentor versus like the sponsor you always just kind of like show your best work, put your best foot forward um, so they can feel com confident in being able to vouch for you when it, it comes down to the promotion or the performance reviews. How do you stop apologizing? She's noticed that even though she's as confident as men in the room, if she makes a valid point or interjects, she always finds that she's adding a sorry at the end on instinct. So how do you stop yourself? And did you have a moment where you realized your worth and embodied your confidence? <laughs> that one, as I say, that one, I still struggle with. And Mark will come in and say, no, you're not sorry. So please tell us what you've done. Um, so I can jump on this really quickly. So I think that confidence Confidence comes from being competent in your, in your role and your expectations. So I'll say that again, confidence comes from competence. So don't apologize if something that you did, um, you know, is maybe just an error in your confidence. Maybe you overshot a little bit. Um, if you're still knowledgeable and what you need to be knowledgeable on, you're trained, you know what you're talking about. Um, maybe you're just a little bit over eager, a little bit too motivated to say something a little bit too soon. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Don't say sorry about those things. And then another thing that I'll say too, is be careful when you say please. 
Um, you don't always have to say please for things. I find that when I first started, I was, I was always saying, please do this, please do that. Please send me this, please get me that. Um, if something, something um, that you're asking for is part of someone's role, you don't really have to say, please send me this, please do that. You can just say, hey, can you send me this at your next opportunity? Thanks. That's it. Um, and I think that what you'll find is people will take you a little bit more seriously because you're gonna be commanding that conversation. And another thing very subtle that I think has served me well is you don't always have to have an exclamation point in everything that you say, especially over email. Um, try eliminating that and see what happens. See, Just do it like a little test and see if people on your team take you a little bit more seriously and then um, kind of go from there, so. Good, I like that. All right, I'm gonna start doing that. Mark, do you hear that? And apparently uh, Mark has yelled at Emma as well. So that's, he's on a mission to eliminate the apologizing in his female colleagues. Gabby, Jenna, anything else to add to that? I'm, I'm definitely big on the exclamation points. I'm definitely gonna take Claudia's advice on that too. It's really, and I think cause like naturally I'm just overall, I'm very like excited all the time. And like, I right. just speak with a lot of emotions. So I'm like, it's just like reflective how I normally speak if I was in person. So, but, but I think that that's a really valid point. It's just like, you know, if you're in person, something else, but if it's an email, a period will do. <laughs> um, I, I mean, with the, the whole like saying, sorry, I think in the beginning as well, I would always be like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like oh, I'll fix this right away. But like that comes with also feeling, being confident in your work and your work, your work product. Like if you know something, you know, you, you worked on something really hard and yeah, there's a mistake. You're like, oh, look, let me review that and I'll get back to you. Don't apologize. Start feeling bad about yourself. Like everyone makes mistakes. We're all human. It's okay. Mm -hmm. And you should not kill yourself about it. Like I think in my analyst years, I would stress out whenever I would make a mistake and, and it's like not a big deal. I think we're just like being hard on ourselves and just like own it and be like, if, if it is something that you messed up and for example, She's like, oh, let me look, look, let me review it. Let me review the details. Let me look at the analysis again and I'll come back to you and we can look at it together. Instead of being like, oh, I'm so sorry. That will never happen again. Like, I think that that, that should be, that's not the right approach because then it's just like, you're already kind of like, kind of like um, you're, you're making yourself feel like you don't know what you're doing. And that is mm -hmm. absolutely not the case. So you don't want to portray that upon yourself. So then just, I think as a way to stop apologizing, just like know your value add, know your work product. And if you're doing, make a mistake, it's okay. We're all human. You just go back, refine it and then go back and just kind of like make sure that everyone understands like your, your thought process around it. And it's just like move forward with it. Yeah, and I'll just quickly do Gabby to that. Um, you know, we don't always just say sorry when we make a mistake. We say sorry if we don't feel comfortable speaking or interjecting, especially in like a room full of leaders, I think my advice to that would, another thing about putting yourself out of your comfort zone, the more people view you as naturally speaking up, the less pressure you'll feel on yourself to say something. Um, and I've had to learn that too. Like the more I interact with leaders and I want to give my opinion, or if I'm not sure it's a good idea and I want to share, the more I interact and involve myself in the conversation, I don't feel as nervous saying like, oh, I just like want to add one more thing, you know, because it's more natural for me to be a part of that conversation. So I think that's a good way for people to address that anxiety or nervousness that people feel when they are hesitant to add a point and they might, you know, say, oh, sorry, like, can I just say something? Um, or I just wanted to add, like, I know the word just is something that a lot of people say. You could just say, I would like to add this, you know, be very straightforward and to the point and make it more of your natural routine and you'll feel more comfortable. 
great. I love that, Jenna, the just. You're right about that, absolutely. Now here's an interesting question. So here's a question about how do you manage working with colleagues, peers, supervisors who don't appreciate or misunderstand confidence? What do you, any reactions to that? We don't I'll say I think, <laughs> I, I think, you know, there's only a certain amount that you can do to help someone else feel comfortable by your personality. Um, you know, if people are extroverted and someone is the opposite, you shouldn't change yourself to make someone else feel, you know, like you shouldn't change to make yourself feel less inferior, I guess. Um, you should be authentic. And I know we talked about that as well. Being genuine is super important. And if people know that you are a certain way, they will realize when you're intentionally trying to act differently. So if you try to mute yourself or, you know, maybe not act um, the way that you usually do, people will notice that about you. And in the end, that's only going to hurt you and not the other person. I think someone acting like that could honestly like inspire others to be more like you know, be more outgoing or be more confident. I think people view it as a negative thing, but people should look at others who are like that and say, you know, if they can be like that, I can too, if they want to be, you know, if, if they don't, that's totally fine too. But I think we should look at people um, who are different as examples rather than feel inferior to people like that. So personally, I've just never really worried about it yeah. um, as an extrovert person, but I have you know, encouraged others to learn from other people um, and take example if they want to be more like that. Okay. You know what I'm going to do now? I'm, this has all been awesome. Thank you so much for all these views. I'm just going to ask you really quick, boom, boom, boom. One last piece of advice to our audience before we break out and start networking. Okay. I can make it really short. So I would say, don't change who you are. Just Figure out and find self-awareness about what your strengths are and who you are, and just, just start from there. Really knowing what your strengths are and what you bring to the table is incredibly important in building your confidence. Um, and one thing that you'll, you'll find once you do have that self-awareness is how you can modify how you work with others. And that's not really changing who you are, but it's just changing maybe your style of communication with a certain other person. So in that way, I feel like... Um, you can you can be the best person on the team without changing changing who you are. Okay, great. Thanks, Claudia. Jenna, your parting shot. Mine would be um, in order to grow, definitely step out of your comfort zone. You know, try new challenges. When you're getting comfortable in a role, leave it. Um, I just recently experienced that. You know, you might love a certain situation you're in, but that means that there's definitely more room uh, for growth. So step out of your comfort zone. Okay, and Gabby. Yeah, I um, I was to like just be your authentic self and do not be afraid to bring your full self to in all aspects of life, like work and extracurricular activities, and that we each have a superpower that others can really you know embrace and learn from. Okay, great, great parting words from everyone. So I just want to thank everybody for being here this evening for your great questions, panelists for your terrific guidance, counsel, insights. We really appreciate it. Thanks all and go Pirates. These alumni are part of a network of more than 100,000 Pirates who demonstrate what great minds can do with a Seton Hall education. Remember to stay up to date with all of Seton Hall's alumni engagement opportunities and to view recordings of past virtual events that you may have missed, visit 
www.shu.edu slash hall hub. Share the news of this podcast with your friends. Be sure to follow us on social media at Seton Hall Alumni. And of course, if you know of a pirate we should have our eye on, do not hesitate to email us at alumni at shu.edu. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of the Seton Hall Pirate's Eye Podcast.